Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. We're going to read a psalm that's all about praise, and hopefully this will remind us that our posture should always be one of praise, that we are to live cruciform lives, lives that are shaped and informed by the cross and the resurrection, and that because of Christ, we have resurrection courage to lean into the difficulties of life. So let me pray, and then I'm going to read Psalm 116 in chunks. Pray with me. Father God, you are good, you are kind, and you have been an ever-present source of hope and help. And right now we confess that we are at times hopeless and way too often helpless. So we come to you as needy people asking for you to meet us where we are, to bless us, and to speak to us. I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be found pleasing in your sight. Have your way with this, God. Use my imperfect speech and faulty preaching to declare your goodness. We love you, God, and we pray all things in your son's beautiful, powerful, and magnificent name. Amen. Psalm 116, I'm reading from the CSB. I am reading verses 1 through 4. I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. The ropes of death were wrapped around me and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. Who am I that God would be attentive to my still small voice? Who am I that he would hear my heart? He owes me nothing, yet he has given me everything. That is why I love him. That is why I will never stop saying his name as long as his breath lives in these lungs. I know what it is to live like I'm already dead. I know what it's like to carry hell on my back. I know the weight of pain, and I am well aware that all I have to do is say his name because there has never been a moment that my voice has gone unheard. That is why I love him. See, what the psalmist is saying here is that he loves God because God heard and responded to his prayer. And knowing this only serves to lead the psalmist to call on his name all the more. Listen, there are 150 poems or songs that make up the Psalms. That comes out to something like 2,461 verses. And out of all of those verses, there are only two verses in the Psalter, which is the songbook, the book of Psalms, that directly express love for God. Only two. Verse one of the Psalm is one, 
and uh, Psalm 18, verse 1, is the other. And when both Psalms are read, you understand why each begins with the incredible declaration of love for God. If my voice is like this, I was in New York all weekend. In both instances, there is a call and a cry going out to the Lord. And in both instances, there is a context for the calling and for the crying out. And in both instances, the psalmist is forming words to give God praise for deliverance. And in both instances, the psalmist was going through some consequential things. The author of this psalm describes him, his feeling as if the ropes of death were tightening all around him. I know that feeling, and maybe you do as well. It is hard to breathe sometimes. And it is a great source of comfort to know that when the world and circumstances and even our own choices are choking the life out of us, all we have to do is call on the name of the Lord and he will deliver us. I love the Lord because he heard me. He listened to me. He came down to me in my despair, and that is why I love the Lord. But he didn't come to me like we would. He didn't hunch over and get close to me so that he can hear me. That's not what I'm talking about. It wasn't a means to an end. God doesn't come close to us just to hear us. He comes to us as an act of divine kindness. Basil the Great, who's an early church father, commenting on this particular psalm says, because through kindness, God came down to me while I was laying on the ground, as if when some sick person is not able to speak clearly because of his great weakness, a kind physician bringing his ear close should learn through nearness what was necessary for the sick person. Beloved, when I was laying on the ground sick and diseased, Jesus, the great physician, came near to me in my weakness and knew what I needed for healing. And the sentiment expressed by the psalmist here, the testimony of my own rescue, your personal witness to hope and healing in Christ is not ours alone. It's shared. The sentiment of love expressed here is easily found in the words of the Apostle Paul, who in 1 Timothy describes Jesus as our hope, and in Titus describes Jesus as the blessed hope. Now this sentiment is shared by all who have cried out on the name of the Lord. And in fact, the sentiment is the reason that we should all walk around with a sense of urgency because the Lord who rescued us is still available to all who will cry out to him. We, you and I, we benefit from God's divine kindness. In Christ, our Lord, and we know that what we were once, like Ephesians 2 would say, without hope and without God in the world, and we, you and I, we need to lift up our praise so that others would know it too. We got to talk about it, y'all. Like, who am I that God would be attentive to my still small voice? Who am I that he would hear my heart? He owes me Nothing, yet he has given me everything. Everything. 
That is why I love him. That is why I will never stop saying his name as long as his breath breathes or lives in these lungs. I know what it's like to live like I'm already dead. I know how that feels. I know what it's like to carry hell on my back. I know the weight of pain, and I am well aware that all I have to do is say his name because there has never been a moment that my voice has gone unheard. That is why I love him. He hears us. Who are we that he would hear us? Verses 5 through 11. The Lord is gracious and, gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I said I am severely oppressed. In my alarm, I said, everyone, everyone, not some, everyone is a liar. God saved me when I didn't know what I didn't know. He takes anxious hearts and minds and he puts them at ease. He was good when nothing else was. When I felt like I was going to die, when I came to the end of myself, he saved me. He dried my eyes, he strengthened my feet so that I could now see clearly and walk purposefully. So I walk. I walk in a way that all can see. Like, who am I that he would even notice me? But he did, and he still does, and that's why I love him. The psalmist here praises God for his grace, his righteousness, and his compassion. But notice how the author gives witness to God's good works for him, but flips it into corporate or public praise. The author says in verse 5, he is our God talking about what God did for him. He says, he is our God. What God did for me, what God did for you, what he can still and will do for others makes him our God. He is ours. What started out as a personal experience, one that is undeniable and often unexplainable, becomes a public declaration of praise for the one who saves. Beloved, there is power there is power in the body and the bride of Christ. He saves us, and now he sends us, and we go knowing that he will keep us. We walk in the land of the living, unashamed and undeterred, offering our witness to the Lord's work in our lives, to offer encouragement to those who gather alongside us week in and week out, hoping to get bread for the journey. That bread for the journey, Pastor Eric touched on last week with the story of Elijah, who coming off this great, intense spiritual high, something that all of us would, you know, we, we would give something for that, to experience what Elijah experienced, the, the, the move of God so powerful and undeniable. Yet in light of that, he gets threatened and he flees because he knows somebody's coming after him. He falls into a state of deep depression he asked for the Lord to take his life. And God doesn't say, what are you, weak? 
Have you not done this before? He doesn't condemn them. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's kind. He allows them to rest. Then an angel taps him. He gets up, and there's food for him. Hot bread and a jug of water right by his head. Elijah eats it, still tired, because you know, sometimes we're tired. He was going through some stuff. He falls back asleep. The angel taps him again, more hot bread by the head and more water, so that he can get up and, but this time the angel tells him, eat and drink of this, because the journey is too much for you to go on your own strength. That the beauty of that story is that Jesus becomes the bread and the living water. Y'all with me? You enter into rest so that Jesus can sustain the journey that we got to go on. Look at verse 6. Even though the psalmist had been bought low, the Lord saved him. Now, I love the language here. The CSB, which I'm working out of right now, reads, the Lord guards the inexperienced. The ESV, which you probably has, read, the Lord preserves the simple. The message translation reads, the Lord helps the helpless. Now, what all of these translations know is that in the original language, what this verse does is it's that it carries an idea that we, you and I, we exist in a place where we are open to both folly and foolishness of this world, as well as to the wisdom of God. And what that means is this. We don't know what we don't know. We just don't. Some of us walk around thinking that since we have made mistakes, and among, um, who among us hasn't, right? And, and since we always seem to stumble, like who among us doesn't, the wis that wisdom is something set apart for those who are closest to God, for those who are smarter or behave better. Beloved, listen, we are not, listen to me, we are not hardwired for tragedy. But tragic stuff happens. It does. And then it's those moments, those moments, tragic moments, those moments where we feel like we're being choked out. And remember that this is the language that the psalmist is using here. Like death, is, the ropes of death are tightening around him. He's painting a picture. It's hard to breathe. He's feeling constrained and kept. He's not feeling free. When, when those ropes are around us. So when we get to that place, when we're in that spot, all we have to do is call on his name. All we have to do is call on the name of the Lord. So we praise him for his mercy. We praise him when we recall our own anguish and pain because we know that when the day comes, right? And that's the thing, the day always does come. When the day comes, when we wake up wanting to stay in bed, wanting to hide from even ourselves, all we have to do is call on his name. When everyone, the persons closest to us, our employer, our family, our friends, our spiritual leaders, the devil, ourselves, even when we feel like everyone else is lying, the psalmist knows that the Lord will always have the last word. And that is a word for us today. 
God saved us. When we didn't know what we didn't know, he saved us. He took our anxious hearts and minds and he put them at ease. When we were going, when we felt like we were going to die, when we came to the end of ourselves, he saved us. He dried our eyes and he strengthened our feet so that we could now see clearly and walk purposefully. So let's walk. And let's walk in a way that everyone can see. Who are we that God would even notice us? But he did, and he still does notice us, and that is why we love him. Verses 12 through 19. How can I repay the Lord for all the good that he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people in the courts of the Lord's house within you, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Knowing what God has done, is doing, will still do, should move us to think of ways to say thank you. We look for ways to let God and the world know that he is good. It is a natural response. It is appropriate for us to want to do something, to show our gratitude to the one who saved us. And here in the psalm, we're given two very simple yet powerful ways to say thank you. In verse 13, the psalmist says, I will take the cup of salvation, that is, the blessing and the deliverance that God has graciously provided, and I will call on his name. I'll take that which, which he has gifted me, and I will call on his name. So what the psalmist is saying is that he can keep on worshiping when that day comes, and he can keep on praising when that day comes, because the, he knows the Lord always saves. The, the psalmist knows that the Lord is dependable. So when he can't depend on anything around him, any systems, any structures, he could depend on the Lord. Amen? Amen. It's distracting you. I'm good. We're here. We're here. Secondly, in verse 14, we read that the psalmist will fulfill his vows where? In the presence of all of God's people, not some, not the ones who we like, not the ones that most closely identify with our cultural preferences, all of God's people. And y'all should have amen that, but I'll let it slide because I love you. In verse 14, we again, I'm just going to say it again. We read that the psalmist will fulfill his vows in the presence of all of God's people. The psalmist will talk about the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The psalmist will walk in his ways among the people. The psalmist will live his life, although imperfectly, knowing that obedience is the only right response to the God who saves, delivers, and comes through for us in the clutch. We have no other option. Faithful obedience is all we got, fam. We keep trying to be clever and bring other stuff in. It don't work. 
obedience does. Never lose sight of all that God has done, is doing, and is yet to do for us. Never stop living, walking, and proclaiming the blessings and deliverance that you have experienced. Your testimony may just be what the Lord will use to wake up those around you stuck in spiritual slumber. Nothing, not even the prospect of death, will keep the mouth of this psalmist shut. Now, this is how we should be as well. But listen, I get it. I know that this is a hard thing to do. I understand that. Praise doesn't always come easy. But at the end of the day, if we, Jesus has rescued you, we are a people built for praise. This psalm, this song of thanksgiving, this poem, was recorded to remind us and encourage us to praise God for deliverance, and it serves as a beautiful example of how our personal witness naturally leads to public praise. We have to talk about what God has done for us. We have to do it. We don't have another option. We're not good enough to save anyone. We can't save anyone. We cannot trick ourselves into thinking that we are someone's functional savior. That breeds like codependency. We're going for like freedom in Christ. We're not trying to just continue building codependent relationships. We're trying to live free in the Lord. So what I'm gonna do right, right there, I'm just gonna paint a picture, I'm almost done, of how I unstick myself when I get stuck. And hopefully it, it helps you. Um, I am a knucklehead, but I'm a kind of well-read knucklehead. So I read a lot of stuff. So if you ever read The Republic, Plato, and you know about the allegory of the cave, this is my bootleg version, except that I'm not talking about school systems or governing or controlling of people. I'm talking about worship and praising Jesus. So I, the way I think about it is I think about it as if I'm stuck. And this is real, you know, it's kind of hood because I'm from the hood. Like, I'm not in a cave. I'm in a big, black, hefty garbage bag. <laughs> I've come from New York. That's all that you see lined up on the sidewalk. A big black, and it's tied up, so I'm in the bag. So you would imagine, right? Couple things quick. It is extremely dark, dark in there. You can't see, light don't get in. But it's also hard to breathe. Y'all with me? It's hard to breathe. But before Jesus, I just sat there. And remember, this psalm was written before Jesus. So the language here didn't expressly connect it to him, but we know better. We know what's up. So I'm in there, and when I feel stuck, when I feel like I can't, when I feel like I don't want to, I force myself to praise and say his name. Just to simply say Jesus. And every time I do it, it's like I just take my finger and I poke a hole in a plastic bag. And every time I do that, a little bit of light comes in, and it gets a little easier to breathe. Not a lot, but a little. So I'm like, oh, good. It's some relief. This is good. But then after a while, like, I'm realizing, like, hey, maybe I should poke another hole. Maybe I'd be able to breathe a little easier. Maybe I'd be able to see a little easier. And look, spiritually, what we do, right, what we do is we kind of settle for this false well, I'll just call it, we, we settle for spiritual complacency. So when God does something good, we give him praise, but then we end it for that thing. And we sit and we wait. 
we wait so something else miraculous happens so we can give him praise again. Like, it's, that doesn't, it's not how it works. God is good, you're good, but imagine what it would be like if in between those big moments, you, you litter your life with praise. When something bad happens, you give them praise. How about that? So anyway, back to the story. Poke a hole, eye, some, some air, some light. Cool. Let me, let me just say Jesus again. Give him praise. Another hole. Then I start going, oh, this is pretty cool. So I just start poking holes like crazy. That's that moment when we're all on fire for the Lord. Y'all know what that's like, right? You're like this, poking holes. You do that. And then you're like, wow, I'm actually breathing easy. I can see everything. But guess what happens? I can see myself now. I'm fully aware of who I am. And I don't necessarily like it. Because now I know how, what, what, what it's really like. So it's like, ah, this deep level of comfort. And because I'm Puerto Rican and from New York, I get duct tape. And one by one, I start covering up the holes. Every time I see something about myself that I don't like, I cover it back up. But then I just end up back in a hot bag having difficulty breathing. So I'm going to call on his name and just rip the bag open. When Jesus, on the cross, breathed his last, it says the veil was torn. Ain't nobody here got to live in a bag. Why are you settle for the bag? Why are we settling? Give God all the glory. Give Jesus all of your praise. Live a life shaped and informed by what the Holy Spirit is opening up and revealing to your heart and your mind. God saved us. That's why we love him. Period. Full stop. We don't love him because he gave us everything he wanted. Praise God and his sovereign wisdom that he doesn't because we would be crushed. We would be crushed if God gave us everything we wanted. But he gives us what we need. And all we have to do to give something back is praise him. Call on his name. We are not hopeless and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We have hope and help in Jesus. And we should be pointing others to hope and help as well. Pray with me. Father, you are good, kind, in ways that we don't even have words for. You have been an incredible, constant source of goodness in my life. Father, I personally repent for all the times that I don't give you praise. For all those times where I looked to other things or other people to satisfy me. I confess that I stutter and stumble more than I would like to. I confess that I am deeply imperfect and flawed, but I give you praise because you still love me, God. You have never not once loved me. I pray knowing that I am not the only one who feels this way in this room, God. I know that we all feel hopeless and helpless. I know that we all feel unloved that time. I know that we all feel unhelpable. But because of your son, all we have to do is call on your name. 
and you will be there. So God, help us to be your people in this place. Help us to be your people in our own skin. Meet us where we need to be met. We thank you for the gift of breath in our lungs, and we just ask that we would be granted the courage and the strength necessary to be your people, to worship you, and to give you all the praise because it is rightfully yours. We pray this in your son's beautiful, powerful, and magnificent name. Amen.